text for this morning's sermon is John 11, the verses 45 to 53. In the first part of John 11, we read about how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And this provokes a response from the people of Israel. Some believed and some grew increasingly bitter and opposed Jesus' work. And that's what our text is about. So we begin our reading at John 11, verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are now only a few weeks away from Easter, from the time of year when we remember Christ's death and resurrection. And thus it's appropriate for us to focus on the reason why the Lord Jesus came into this world. Our text this morning is focused on the prophetic words spoken by Caiaphas, the high priest. Although he was an agent of Satan and sought the death of the Lord Jesus, God used Caiaphas for his purposes. God used Israel's high priest to teach us how Christ came into this world to bring life for his people. In order to understand our text, we need to see it in its context. The first 44 verses of John 11 speak about the death and the resurrection of Lazarus. They show us the miraculous work of our Savior, Jesus did not immediately go to Bethany when he received news that Lazarus was sick. Instead, he remained where he was for an extra two days. That meant that by the time he arrived in Bethany, Lazarus was dead for four days. Although Jesus could have spared the life of his friend, he allowed Lazarus to die. Jesus did so in order that he might show the people that he was sent by God. When Jesus came to the tomb where Lazarus' body was laid, he commanded that the stone be removed. Then Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. 
Through this mighty sign, Jesus called the people to put their faith and trust in him. Remember that in John's gospel, he does not speak about miracles. Instead, John speaks about the signs that Jesus did. John's emphasis is not on how Jesus demonstrated his almighty power, but on how his signs are meant to teach us something. This is also the case in Lazarus's resurrection. The point it makes is that Jesus is the one who grants life from the dead. He has come to grant eternal life to all those who believe in him. This miraculous sign caused many to make a decision about Jesus. Many of the people believed in him. But there were also those whose hearts were hardened. who became even more determined to do him harm. Our text shows us how God used the opposition of the Jewish leaders to accomplish his purposes. They thought that by killing Jesus, they would get rid of their problem once and for all. Satan thought that he'd been given a beautiful opportunity to block the redemptive work of God's Son. He used the Jewish leaders as his henchmen in order to plot Christ's death. Yet in the midst of the vain plots of sinful men, God laughs. God uses Satan and his henchmen to accomplish our salvation. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. God uses the high priest of the old covenant to serve the redemptive work of Christ. We'll see how the work of Christ is opposed, how the work of Christ is proposed, And how the victory of Christ is exposed. I'll repeat that. God uses the high priest of the old covenant to serve the redemptive work of Christ. We'll see how the work of Christ is opposed. How the death of Christ is proposed. And how the victory of Christ is exposed. Our text shows us how the resurrection of Lazarus was a defining moment in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Up to this point in time, the Lord Jesus had performed different signs that caused the people to question whether or not he was the Messiah. By raising Lazarus from the dead, Christ causes many more people to make a decision about him. Our text says that many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But it also shows us how some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. God opened many hearts. So people came to faith in Christ. But he also hardened other hearts with the result that others opposed Christ's work. Christ's mighty deeds caused a division among the people. Raising Lazarus from the dead was such a powerful sign that many who doubted before now put their trust in Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah, promised by the prophets long ago. Even though they did not fully understand what this meant, they saw God's hand at work in the signs that Jesus did. And so more and more of them turned to the Lord Jesus in faith. 
Yet there were also others whose hearts were hardened in spite of the things Jesus did. They proved that they proved what our Lord said in uh, Luke 16, verse 31, is true. There Jesus taught that if someone is not willing to listen to the words of Moses and the prophets, neither will he be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This was a situation among many of the Jewish leaders. In their hearts, many of them had already concluded that Jesus was an imposter, a fake. Even though Jesus had given sight to a man born blind and had now raised Lazarus from the dead, they refused to believe in him. Our text shows how they oppose Christ's work. The chief priests and Pharisees gathered together a council. The Jewish council was called the Sanhedrin. While the Romans were in charge of civil matters, the Sanhedrin was the body that governed over all things relating to the religious life of the Jews. The chief priests and Pharisees saw themselves as the religious leaders in Israel. They felt that their authority was being challenged by the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was undermining their status among the people. Thus, the council was frustrated. Hearing the latest report about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, they don't stop to consider what is happening. Nobody doubted the truth of this report. What you would expect is that they would pause to consider how it was possible for Jesus to raise a man who'd been in the tomb for four days. What an amazing miracle this was. It should have made them consider more closely who Jesus was. Yet the Jewish leaders are focused on themselves and on their standing among the people of God. Jesus was winning the hearts of many in Israel. He spoke with authority and with godly wisdom. He performed many wondrous signs that testified that someone greater than Moses was here. The Jewish leaders felt threatened by Jesus. They asked, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The Sanhedrin admitted Jesus performed many signs. Yet instead of reassessing their stand toward Jesus, the leaders expressed their fears about where this support for Jesus would lead. They were afraid that left unchecked, the messianic expectations of the people would continue to get fired up. The Jewish people expected that the promised Messiah would lead a revolt against the hated Romans and free them from Roman dominion. They thought the Messiah would give Israel an important place in the world again, that they would once more become a superpower. In Israel's recent history, the Maccabees, a group of Jewish rebel warriors, took control of Judea. They opposed the Greek influence on their way of religious life. 
They set God's people free from having this imposed on them. While this granted God's people religious freedom for a time, eventually the Romans captured Judea and made it a client kingdom of Rome. The Romans ruled over conquered nations with power and strength. You didn't want to provoke them, for they had the reputation of crushing any who rebelled against them. And thus, instead of considering Jesus' religious claims, the Sanhedrin saw Jesus as a political problem. They did not critically examine if Jesus was the Son of God, sent forth to serve as the promised Messiah. Instead, the Jewish leaders were concerned that people might make Jesus king, that they would rise up in rebellion against the Roman authorities. If that happened, the result would likely be that the Romans would come and destroy their nation and their temple. The council realizes the problem must be addressed immediately. While they remain inactive, more and more people are turning to Jesus. Satan uses the fears and the jealousies of the Jewish leaders in order to cause them to rise up against Christ. It's important to realize that Satan is the one behind their growing conviction that it's necessary to have Jesus put to death. Already in John 8, the Lord had made it clear to the Jews that while they claimed to be Abraham's children, they were in fact children of the devil. Christ said that if they were Abraham's children, they would do the works of Abraham. And yet they were trying to kill him. Even though he told them the truth and did the works of God. That's why Christ concluded that they were children of the devil. For just as Satan was a murderer from the beginning, so they also desired to put him to death. The words of verse 48 of our text are very ironic. There the chief priests and Pharisees said, If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come out and take away both our place and our nation. Yet it is precisely because they did not leave Jesus alone that their words were fulfilled. Instead of leaving Christ alone, the Jews crucified him. The consequence of this was precisely that what they desired to avoid. It was through Christ's death and resurrection that people throughout the world came to believe in him. It was because of their wickedness in murdering the Christ that God used the Roman authorities to destroy the temple and to further subjugate the Jews. Thus, beloved, we see how God uses wicked men to accomplish his purposes. Jesus performed a mighty sign by raising Lazarus from the dead. Through the sign, he showed how he had come into the world to bring life for his people. Exactly how Jesus would do this, no one understood. Satan thought he could throw a spanner in the works. He tried to use the Jewish leaders to stop Jesus from accomplishing his redemptive work. He figured that if he could have Jesus put to death, that would be the end of his kingdom here on earth. 
And yet, through the midst of all this opposition from Satan and his henchmen, God laughs. For God used their opposition to the work of Christ to bring about the redemption of his people. We'll deal with this in our second point, and we'll see how the death of Christ is proposed. Our text shows us how Caiaphas the high priest spoke up in order to provide direction for the Sanhedrin. He says, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Caiaphas's reasoning is that Jesus is like a cancer that corrupts Israel, creates a danger from the side of the Romans. If this cancer can be eliminated from the body, perhaps the body can be saved. This view is purely satanic. Satan thinks that if the Christ should die, he will have won the battle. He will be able to claim God's people for himself. Beloved, it's very important for us to realize that we live after Christ's redemptive work is done. We can look back on how he accomplished our redemption. Hindsight is always 2020. What we take for granted, no one knew in the days when the Lord Jesus was on this earth. Even Satan did not know how God would accomplish his salvation work in Jesus Christ. If Satan had known, he would not willingly have participated in Christ's death. It was through his death that Christ brought salvation to his people. We have to remember Satan is a fallen angel. As servants of God, the angels did not know how God would bring redemption to his people. 1 Peter 1 verse 12 teaches us that the way of salvation foretold by the prophets was for our benefit. That it was something angels desired to look into. In Ephesians 3 verses 8 and following, Paul says that to him was given to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. To make all see the mystery which for ages had been hidden in God. Paul specifies in verse 10 how this knowledge is also revealed to the angels. He says that one of the purposes of his preaching was that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. The point is that neither Satan and his evil spirits, nor God's angels, nor God's people understood how God would redeem his people. Satan did not know that Jesus was, sorry, Satan did know that Jesus was God's son, that he had come as Messiah to redeem his people. Satan was violently opposed to Christ's work. Satan used jealousy and envy to grab control over Caiaphas' heart. He used Israel's high priest to propose Jesus should be put to death. 
The excuse offered was that it was better for one man to die for the sake of the people, instead of all of them being crushed by the Romans. Yet, beloved, we see how God laughs. God takes this henchman of Satan's. He uses him to accomplish his own purposes. In our text, John notes that Caiaphas did not say these words of his own accord. John notes, Caiaphas was high priest that year. His words were spoken prophetically. John says that Caiaphas prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. In Israel's history, the high priest had a very important function. After the Lord had appointed Joshua as Moses' successor, the Lord told Moses how he would reveal his will to Joshua. Numbers 27 verse 21 makes clear how Joshua could inquire before the Lord about important matters, about things like going to war. God would make his will known through the high priest. Thus, the high priest had a role in speaking God's word to his people. In the days when our Lord was on earth, the function of the high priest had totally degenerated. In Israel, the priestly families were some of the richest landowners around. They no longer functioned as God's servants. Instead, they had taken upon themselves a political role. They used their power and their authority to keep the people under control. Instead of serving as mediators between the Lord and his people, they actually served as agents of the Roman government. The government tolerated their presence as long as they kept the people in line. Yet in our text, we see something remarkable happening Despite the fact that the priesthood no longer functioned in the way it should, God used the high priest of the old covenant to prophesy his will to his people. We know from earlier in John's gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God used Caiaphas to prophesy his truth, that it was better for one man to die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. This brings us to our final point, and we'll see how the victory of Christ is exposed. Our text tells us that from that day onwards, the Sanhedrin made plans to put Jesus to death. Satan planted a seed in the hearts of his henchmen. He will use them to try oppose the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus. He'll do his best to have Jesus put to death. Yet what he did not realize is that was, was that in doing so, he would accomplish God's plan for the redemption of his people. It is striking that the Gospels reveal so much about the demonic activity of Satan in the days the Lord Jesus was on earth. Satan knew that with Christ coming in the flesh, 
He was involved in a battle for his very life. Satan had done all he could to prevent our Lord from coming to earth. Think about the time of the judges when God's people fell away. Time and time again. Think of the time of Elijah when the number of God's people who remained faithful was so small. Think about the destruction of Jerusalem and, the, and of the temple, of the time when God's people went into exile, when they were scattered abroad. Think about the plot of Haman in the days of Esther, when he tried to have God's people annihilated from off of the face of the earth. Yet God remained faithful to his people. He had redeemed and restored them time and again. Now Satan thought if he could destroy Christ, he would win the battle. He thought that if Christ was put to death, that would be the end of Israel's messianic hopes. Like many of the people, he figured that Christ had come to establish his kingdom on earth. Satan thought that in the upcoming battle, he would have a chance to employ his demonic forces in an all-out frontal assault on Christ and his angelic hosts. How frustrating it must have been for the angels to see the Lord of glory being attacked by Satan and his cohorts and then to be restrained from making war against them. For God's plan of salvation was to allow his son to die for the sake of his people. God exposed the way of salvation through the words of Israel's high priest. Caiaphas said it was better that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. And beloved, God agreed. What divine irony. From God's point of view, the Lord Jesus was not some cancer that needed to be eliminated for the sake of the well-being of the Jewish nation. No, from God's point of view, the Christ needed to die for another reason. He needed to die as a substitute for his people. He needed to bear the wrath that lay on us so that we might receive God's blessing. God took Satan's henchman Caiaphas and made him his servant. He made him into an unconscious vehicle of truth through which Christ's victory was exposed. And so, beloved, as we approach Easter, we marvel at God's wondrous deeds of salvation who would have thought that God would accomplish the salvation of his people through the death of his son? That was something hidden throughout all the ages. Even Christ's disciples, who walked with him on this earth, did not understand the way of salvation until after Christ's resurrection. And yet, beloved, this way of salvation has been made known to us. Through the resurrection of Lazarus, Christ showed he came to give life 
to the dead. Through the prophetic words of the Old Testament, the high priest God showed that to do so, the Christ would have to give up his own life. At Easter time, we may commemorate how Jesus offered himself for our sake. Beloved, our text provides us with such rich comfort. It shows us how, despite the most cunning and brutal assault of Satan, Christ has won the victory over him. Satan thought he was delivering the coup d'etat that would make him king over all the earth. He thought putting Christ to death would be the master stroke of his campaign that he'd waged since the time of his fall from God's favor. Yet his master stroke turned out to be a fatal mistake. For with his death, Christ has completely vanquished Satan. And beloved, that gives us so much comfort. By his death, Christ has freed us from the power of Satan. By his death, he has restored us to God's favor. Let's give thanks to God and rejoice in his mighty works of salvation. For he has redeemed us in a most remarkable way. Amen. In response to the gospel message, let's rise and sing together from Psalm 34, stanzas 6 and 7.